very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. Today, I'm super excited to have Miss Deborah Nash, Engelhardt Nash. Miss Nash is a friend of mine. She's the president of ADMC. ADMC is a group of dental management consultants who save, uh, serve the dental community. She's also the co-founder of the Nash Dental Institute, along with her husband, Dr. Nash. She works at her husband's practice and consults with clients all over the U.S. Um, Deborah, can you, can you say a few words? By the way, welcome to the podcast, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. It's truly an honor and a pleasure. I know we've talked about this for several, several months, if not years, to, about working together, and I'm glad we finally get to do this. Uh, I've been in the industry for well over 30 years, and um, there are so many wonderful niches such as yours that helps dentists grow and thrive. Um, I'm a huge proponent of fee-for-service dentistry, and I love the resources that are available to help dentists and their teams um, grow and be successful, not only um, financially, but personal satisfaction, professional satisfaction. Um, I've um, worked um, in a major consulting company, and then in 1985, I started my own uh, dental consulting company, and I've done that ever since. Um, and I've spoken um, nationally, internationally. I have clients in Canada, um, as well as the U.S., um, and um, I love what I do. That's great. <clears throat> Thank you very much uh, for talking to us today. I, I want to start by talking about what you are known for. I mean, you're known for a lot of things because you've been doing this for 30 years, but um, one of the things I think you are really good at uh, that a lot of people mention is you're really good at the customer experience all the way from that initial phone call all the way to you know treating them like a human being and making them feel valued and making them come back and then of course making them accept treatment I mean the whole customer experience and um, I mean even in your own business right with the one that you and your husband run uh, it's a fee-for-service practice, so people have to choose to pay you. People have to choose to come and see you. So, uh, um, so you have kind of learned this and you practice it. So, why don't you give us an introduction as to how you think about taking care of, you know, the patient? Oh, I appreciate that, and I think that uh, you know it's interesting because I think uh, all of this is ties into what um, is patient engagement or client engagement. I know in my husband's practice, we are a fee-for-service practice, and, and I always tell the team, I mean, not only are we a fee-for-service practice, but we have some special office protocols. Um, we don't have any accounts receivable. Patients pay for their treatment either at the time of service and actually, or prior to service. We can talk a little bit about that, why, why that I think is important. Um, but I always say to the team, um, the, the, the onus um, is really on the team because they have to help the patient understand and appreciate that what we have to offer is worth um, 
the standards and the, the, the protocols that we go through in the, in the office. So I think for me, um, I know you'd asked me at one time, what was my superpower? I think patient engagement is probably my superpower. <coughs> uh, why it's critical is because 80% of the reason why patients choose treatment is based on the relationships that they establish with the practice and the doctor. Um, 20% is other factors. 20% could be location. It could be some sort of, some level of insurance involvement. It could be um, a referral. But by and large, the reason why I choose the care is the relationships that I develop. And that happens from the moment the patient engages in, in, um, with somebody from that office. I mean, they, people will say, and, and people in the social media industry will say that Google drives the uh, traffic to your practice. And it, and it does. And social media drives traffic. And for many offices, that's the number one referral source for new patients. The question then becomes, so you've driven, so the practice has um, acquired uh, the attraction based from social media. Now, what are you going to do with them when they call? I, an example, I mean, what, why this is so critical, uh, a, a doctor retained me because he was frustrated. Um, the, excited, the good news was he um, contend can, uh, that he gets 185 referrals from Google. And the bad news was he, um, his retention was dismal. He wasn't retaining them. So what's the point of attracting all these people to your practice if Number one, they don't choose your treatment. Um, and number two, they don't stay. So, um, so I think patient retention, patient engagement is, there's got to be another piece of this social media craze that everyone's going through and everyone has become dependent upon. Right. Um, you're absolutely right. So we generate half a million phone calls for our clients every year. But wow. But it's useless if those people don't become patients. Absolutely. You know, um, um, it's like you're taking $100 notes and burning it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so this, you know, it was interesting because I, uh, when I went into this practice and I noticed that the uh, appointment book was virtually um, empty. And then they talked about that they work with a, um, a government regulated program. And I said, well, how, I think it's lovely that the doctor is, participating in a community service um, project. And <laughs> the receptionist said, well, it's because we use these patients to fill our schedule. So, I mean, listen to the dichotomy. I have 185 referrals from Google and I'm using a government assistance, assisted uh, program to fill my appointment book. So what's the missing link? Well, the missing link is patient engagement. Why aren't these patients staying? Obviously, He's doing a lot of good things with social media, but he's not doing a lot of good things internally. And I think that's the critical piece. That's the critical piece. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the phone call. So, I mean, that's the first moment of truth, right? Um, what happens like today's environment, people are Googling around what they're looking for. So I'm looking for Invisalign or whatever it might be. Then they go to the website, uh, they see pictures, uh, you know, they like the fact that the doctor is the president of this association and, you know, is really good at what he does. There's a lot of cases and videos and pictures. And then finally they would 
Google the doctor, they will read up the reviews. Yeah, everything checks out four stars, five stars on multiple sites. Now the phone ring. Tell me how you would handle that phone call. Well, um, great question. Um, and we can take it in a lot of different avenues because sometimes the patient will call and they'll, they'll immediately announce themselves. And for example, they might say, my name is Deborah Nash and I'd like to make an appointment for a consultation. That's the easiest one because then I basically, um, I'm going to write the name down immediately. When someone announces themselves, I'm going to write it on something. Um, and so I can refer to it. I mean, if they've already announced who they are, I don't want to have to go back and say, and with whom am I speaking? Or uh, may I have your name, please? If for some reason I didn't write it down, I might say, would you help me with the spelling of your name? For example, my name's Deborah, but it can, that could be spelled several different ways. Um, so um, that would be one of the ways I would engage that. So I would want to say, let me be the first to welcome you to the practice. And for me, the <coughs> next remark is critical. We, um, I, my, my, for me, the next is the next question or uh, statement to the patient is going to be a question. So I am going to say, so that I schedule the appropriate appointment for you, may I ask you a few questions? I'm always going to get permission to ask questions before I start asking about what is your name? What is your address? What is your birthday? What is your social security number? What insurance do you have? What sort of medical um, complications do we need to be aware of? Do you have to be pre-medicated? We, we start walking into some intimate conversation with the patient without even asking them if it's okay. So for me, the first question is, after I say, so that, um, welcome to the practice, so that I schedule the appropriate appointment for you, or so that I schedule you properly, may I ask you a few questions? The patient's gonna say, of course, yes. And that my next question will be, Tell me what inspired you to call. Can, can, I, can, I, can I pause you for a couple of, uh, yes. I want to make a couple of observations. One is, I think this permission is so critical, right? Because if you look at, again, Robert Cialdini, who's the person who yes. wrote a book on influence, he talks yes. about people who make a commitment are three times more likely to follow through, right? By asking for that permission, it sounds so simple. Now they're kind of part of the game. They're part of the process. If you don't, they're kind of resisting you. They're thinking, you know, why is this person being nosy and wasting all my yeah. time, you know? Yeah, right? yeah. But I now think that also, they yeah, I think also, um, I think what's really important when we talk about um, influence, I think it's important to, to first remember that, you know, the minute the patient picked up the phone, they made the decision to choose you. Right. Now your responsibility is to validate they made the right decision. Right. So they already made the decision. Now, they, now you could say, well, maybe they're shopping and we can talk about the shopper. You know, how much do you charge for? We get, I get that all the time when, when I love, I love to answer the phone in my husband's practice. I mean, I love it. Um, I get to practice my skills, number one, so I can say, you know, I know this works because I do it every day. So when people say, how much do you charge for consultation or do you charge for consultation? I always say, you know what? I'd be happy to tell you about our fees. Before I do, may I ask you a few questions? So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna lead right back into the, may I ask you a few questions? So right. I'm not gonna say, I'm sorry, but we don't call fees over the telephone because now I have lost that collar. I've lost I, that I wanna ask one more quick thing. Uh, yes. You talked about the name, right? Why is the name so important? Is it because 
um, the most important word for all of us is our name. So just getting it, I don't know, just why you, you talked about the name as the very first thing you said today. Well, I think what's really important that if I've already announced who I am, if you have to ask me again, you're, you're sort of um, signifying that you didn't listen, that you're not a good listener. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really critical that, um, in fact, one of my, for me, one of my edicts on the telephone for a new patient especially is I never interrupt a new patient phone call. So I never want that patient to feel as though I'm distracted by another call. I'm distracted by another patient. That call starts the moment I pick up the phone, I am committed on that telephone with that caller because that signifies to the patient that you are important to me. This is an important call. I'm going to give you all the time you need without interruption. Um, So for me, I think it's, it's respectful. Yeah. It says I'm a good listener. It establishes my credibility as the, as the, uh, as the person on the telephone. And people are going uh, to listen more. Now, you, I mean, we've all had those phone calls where a salesperson is on the phone with you and they use your name over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you know, you, that's overuse. And I heard this um, quote it said something, it goes something like this, any strength taken to excess becomes a weakness. So if you overuse it, then it's manipulative. Right. <clears throat> but I think at the moment someone tells me who they are, I'm going to write their name down. And um, I, I, I just yeah. want to notice something as you said, significance, right? Uh, I was listening to a talk that Tony Robbins gave to a bunch of CEOs about what won't change in the next 30 years. And he talked about human needs. And he said significance is one of the two most important human needs. Every suicide is because somebody feels insignificant. I agree. So what you're saying is when that person is on the phone, you want them to feel and believe they are the most important thing for you and your practice. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I will say to a caller, um, I, and, and we, we talk about the process and, we, you know, if they're talking about consultation fee and we're talking about that, I always will, will say um, the doctor is going to take as much time as you need to help you make the right choices for your care, your care. So again, I'm not going to say, we're going to tell you what you need. We're going to work up a treatment plan. You're going to talk with our, our financial coordinator. It's not the steps that we're going to take in our practice. It's all about what we're going to do for the patient. So we talk about significance. I will say to the patient, we will give you all the time you need to provide you the information to help you make the right choices for your care. So I'm not saying we're gonna tell you what you want or what you need. We're gonna give you the information for you to make the decision. Then it becomes their decision, not us. And we're not telling them, we're offering information to help them make the choice. <coughs> then it becomes, their, it, it becomes theirs, they own it. Right. They own it. And, and they can't walk away from that. They can't, they can't say, well, that was, you know, they're telling me what I need it's not necessarily what I want. And people talk about all the time. That's, I mean, it's pretty fundamental in the dental industry and in any industry that, you know, people buy what they want. We know that. So I always say, we will give you all the time you need to help you make the right choices for your, to give you the information to help you make the right choices for your care. So when, um, so when you're talking about, yeah, significance, that's why uh, in, in the practices with, with whom uh, I work, um, in the practice that I work with, with my husband, we always say you never interrupt a new patient phone call. Someone will pick up the phone. People need to be cross-trained that I mean, we have a three-ring rule. The phone will be answered by the third ring. 
someone will pick up, someone else will pick up the phone and take that call. And um, so there's no interruption. I want to, I want that patient, talk about significance. I want that patient to have an opportunity to tell me everything they want to tell me about their previous dental experiences, their apprehensions, what they're looking for, what they want. And I want them to hang up that phone and say, wow, nobody ever listened to me that way. Nobody ever talked to me that way. Nobody took the time. I mean, I know that there are some scheduling um, training programs and they tell you to get, to get on and off the phone in a, in a quick matter of time. For me, it's not how much time you spend. It's not, it's how, how effective you are on the telephone. So for me, it's not how, it's almost like hygiene when you say, well, I can see, we can see a hygiene patient in 30 minutes. Well, maybe you can, but are you being effective? And are you making that patient feel significant? And what additional treatment are you um, talking to the patient about during that hygiene appointment? Or is it basically clean their teeth, get them in, get them out, get them out of the chair so somebody else can move in? There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And the telephone is the same thing. It is not about getting them off the phone quickly. And I know that there are some offices that have a, they'll have a, a script um, you know, on the, by their telephone next to the computer and they have the questionnaire. The problem is that oftentimes when you're going through the questionnaire, it sounds like you're reading a questionnaire. It's not yeah, it doesn't give all. me significance when somebody is reading a questionnaire at me. Right. I'm, like a, I'm like a number to that person. Exactly. And I had a client like that in New Jersey and they couldn't figure out why they had such a high cancellation and no-show rate with new patients. And uh, he was frustrated with, he had subscribed to a new patient referral program and he was frustrated and he was blaming them. And so they hired me to come in and work with the doctor and his team members. And I said, it's, it's not that you're getting, I mean, he was getting 50 new, uh, 50 patient referrals from that service. I said, it's not the, the referral service is the problem. It's the way the patient's being treated when they call. They're being, they're, they're going, she's going through a, a list of questions, but there's no person, there's no uh, heart in the conversation and there's no um, validation that they call the right office. And one of the, one of the things that's really critical for the person on the telephone and actually for every team member is what validation are you giving the doctor with that new patient? What is your story? What's your testimonial about that practice? So it's easy for me to say, you know, in my husband's practice, one of the things I'll say, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll say, um, may I tell you a little bit about the doctor? And everybody can do that. May I tell you a little bit about the doctor? Not only is he a brilliant dental scientist and a beautiful dental artist, but he has got an amazing chairside manner. He is affable. He is humble. He is a great listener. He will give you all the time you need to help you make the right decisions for your care. So I want to close my conversation with, let me, let me inspire you to look forward to meeting your practitioner, your doctor, your clinician. And I will always say the most important person you will meet in our practice will be the doctor because he or she will be the one who will be taking care of you, primarily taking care of you. I want to make sure that, I mean, hygiene is important, but I want to make sure that they understand that 
this consultation, that this new patient visit is going to be about them feeling comfortable and confident that they've chosen the right office for their care. So, so you're saying it's really, really important to reinforce the decision they made by picking up the phone and calling because now they are really committed to that decision. They are no longer second guessing themselves. Right. And it's, you know, I use the analogy, actually, it's interesting. I used um, food analogies last week. Um, if you imagine calling a restaurant and you're making a reservation for dinner and, you know, sometimes restaurants can say, you know, is there a special occasion? Is there a particular type of wine that you would like? But imagine this, imagine the hostess who's taking the call says, we're still looking forward to seeing you next Friday night with your friends. Um, I know you're going to have a pleasant experience while you're with us. I also want to remind you that as you are planning your meal, I want to remind you to save room for dessert. Let me tell you why. Our pastry chef has won awards for his work. Not only are they absolutely delicious, they are beautiful. They are actually um, works of art. Um, it, they are amazing. So you are going to want to be sure to save room to, for dessert because not only are you going to want to taste it, you're going to want to see it. In fact, we have so many of our, of our, of our clients who want to photograph dessert. Um, and I will tell you, I will defy that caller not to want to see dessert. They're going to want to order dessert. So, right. I, so I say to my doc, you know, to the, to the person on the telephone, first of all, your role is very critical, but you are the one that when they hang up, you want them to be feeling like, I can't wait to meet this doctor. I can't wait to meet these people. Um, right. So, yeah, so we have to end with a, a validation that they call the right place and a testimonial about, about the doctor. Right. And it has to be from their heart. Not, you know, the doctor went to Chapel Hill Dental School. He graduated in 1978. And he's a member of the AGD. And he's a member of the ADA. And he's a member of the Dental Society. And he's a member. That isn't critical. Let me t I want them to tell the patient, this is how you're going to feel while you're here. You know right. That? Yeah, it's emotional. So, I mean, using that example of the restaurant, a couple of things jumped out at me. One is nobody does it. So I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that, you know, hostess who took the time to tell me about this amazing pastry chef, which I didn't know about till I called, right? And that's going to make me, I think that's called variety, which is again, one of the human needs. And then also you made me feel special because every other person I ever called to book a restaurant reservation, they're like, in and out. Give me the phone number. Give me your name. How many people? Six people out. Here, it's almost like you're treating me like a real human being and trying to take care of me, right? And you, you told me how I'm going to have a great time with my friends. And you told me something that I never realized you guys are good, good at. So now I'm going to, you know, I feel like you care about me. I feel like you care about making sure I have a great time. Right. And how many people am I going to tell about this phone call? I'm going to hang up the phone and say, exactly. oh my gosh, we're going to order dessert. <laughs> I mean, we're going to t start telling people, I called this restaurant and of course you have to live, you have to deliver what you promise. Yes. Um, and that's going to be, that's important in the dental practice. If you tell me I'm going to get, um, receive a great experience in the office, then I have to receive a great experience in the office. But I, 
I think it's also important. You know, the other thing, since we're talking about food, and you know, I guess it's kind of lunchtime for some people listening at this hour, but um, I was in an office in Tennessee last week, and the, uh, we were getting ready to do our day, our day together, and the team and the doctor said, oh, let's, let's, we'll go to lunch, which is kind of nice, because oftentimes... I don't go to lunch. Uh, lunch is usually brought in. So first of all, that was a special treat for me that we were actually going to step out of the office and go have lunch. Um, and then they said, well, where are we going to go? And they said, yo, well, let's go to that. We'll go to that sushi restaurant down the street. And so I'm thinking, okay, we're going to go to lunch and we're going to go have sushi and that's fine. And well, it wasn't just lunch. It was one of uh, those restaurants that has the hibachi with the performing chef that chops up the food and throws eggs on his hat and plays, you know, does, does magic tricks with his, with his utensils. And I mean, it was a show. And I said to them, this is much like a dental office. A patient calls and you offer them lunch, but you don't tell them to expect the show, you know, and that's a problem. Um, so the, so you have to, um, you have to, uh, the, here, they, they could have said, oh my gosh, Deborah, we're going to take you to this amazing restaurant. It's going to be so much fun. Um, we are going to have, it's a, sh not only is the food delicious, but we're going to have a show. And I, now I'm going to really be anticipating lunch. Right. But the way they described it is we were going to lunch. And I said, you know, when you, when your patients are calling on, um, calling your office, you're doing the exact same thing when a patient calls your practice. Right. Yeah. It's just lunch. It's just a lunch. It's not a show. And, and then uh, there are so many other lunch places. Now you become a commodity. Now it's about, are you open at 7 p.m. and you right. take my insurance and, you know. Exactly. And so, yeah. So, then, so this office has some issues because of, um, they, uh, they attract a lot of patients, but the patients are proceeding with treatment. And I said, well, here's one of the, you know, you are not extolling the virtues of this practice and why you're exceptional. And they are an exceptional practice. I said, why are you hiding it? And so many dental offices hide how exceptional they are. And then, so then they become common. So the question is, you know, you asked me when we were, uh, started this conversation, you said, Deborah, what's your superpower? I would ask each dental practice, you know, what's your superpower? What is it that you're, what is your, what is your doctor known for? Is um, great listening skills, great clinical skills, um, artistic, I mean, what is your practice known for? Uh, if, if you don't have, if you don't know what that is, then you're going to be the practice that takes my insurance. Right. Yeah. Right. And then that becomes usual and customary. So now when your fees are above usual and customary, now the patients are going to complain and not complain. They might, or they might remark. So if you're going to charge the patient above a usual and customary fee, then you have to behave above in a way that's above usual and customary. Makes total sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me jump into the second part of what I want to talk about. You said you have to deliver, right? I mean, which is again, another human need certainty. Um, if you, if you, if I expect you to do something and you don't do it now, you have a big problem. You have to deliver what you promise. Right. So if I am promising this amazing experience with the doctor or whatever else I'm saying, 
during the phone call. Now that has to be delivered throughout the patient experience, not just today, but for the next five years or 10 years that I'm there with you, right? Because I'm not going to forget what you promised me. Absolutely. And I have to, I have to continue to feel important. It can't be quote, just a recall. It's right. just, Oh, it's just Deborah coming in again. She doesn't need anything. She just, we're just going to clean her teeth and send her on her way. You have to continue to renew um, and re-enthuse me about the office. You all continue to make me feel important. Sort of like a, sort of like a marriage. Right. Right. How do you do that? How do you make, make the patient feel important during the first visit and then continue to feel important? Ah, well, um, I mean, if I talk about, you know, some, some tips, some standard uh, patient manners or people or people manners, um, I, I will use this analogy when I'm working with my clients. Um, I believe that when a, someone walks into the office, you should stand. So I, and I, you know, people, you should stand to greet for a couple of reasons. First of all, if someone rang the doorbell um, at your house, what would you have to do? And they, they know the answer. They say, well, I have to get up and, and answer the door. You don't, you know, people don't, you don't, you don't sit on the couch and wait for them to come to you. You get up and you go to the door to greet them. So if someone walks through that front door of the dental practice um, and, if, and it's someone unfamiliar then stand to greet them, look them in the eye and smile. And um, I'm a big hand shaker. Um, I like it. Um, I've had very few offices resist the idea of shaking somebody's hand. Uh, important for a couple of reasons. So I like the human touch, first of all. Um, if I'm staring at a person and I look in the eye and I shake their hand, um, I'm going to assume that, it, that I'm not restricted by any um, uh, religious standards that I have or um, any other um, any obstacles that, that might get in the way of doing that. Um, I'm establishing my credibility. I'm establishing, I'm establishing my, my presence and my professionalism. So I want to stand to greet and shake their hand and, and tell them I'm, you know, we're glad they're there. Um, I'm also, when they are, when we're getting ready to take them back into the consultation or back into the clinical area, rather than standing at a door and calling them to you, we should actually go to that person and introduce. And again, the dental assistant or the hygienist, the treatment coordinator, who's ever coming out, the clinical assistant should come out and greet that person at the chair rather than calling that person to them and introducing themselves. So if I were the dental assistant or the treatment coordinator, I would go to that person sitting in the reception room and I would um, <laughs> say, hi, my name is Deborah. I'll be working with doctor uh, during your care today. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, let me, may I, may I escort you, um, you know, to the treatment room? So rather than saying, are you ready? Or we're ready for you or calling them or not even sometimes, I mean, I, in, in, in observation, sometimes a dental assistant or hygienist, uh, doesn't even introduce themselves, you know, and I, I'll even back up when we're talking about people and patient engagement. Um, one of the, one of the tips that I, I mentioned um, I'm sort of known for, if you will, is I want everybody to go into their patient laboratory and take a look at that. And I want to remind um, the, our listeners that your patients are going to judge you based on when they walk in, what they see, what they smell, how they feel. 50% of patients are visual learners. 25% of our patients are audio learners, what they hear. 
And the other 25% of our patients, of our people, are visceral learners, how they feel. Well, if I can incorporate all of those senses, sight, sound, and feeling, then I can create a wonderful impression. So I want to... Um, uh, I'm really going to get into this now because I'm not a big fan of televisions in the reception room. I'm not a big fan of, of using the reception room as a distraction. I think the reception room should be an attraction to the practice, not a distraction away from it. You, you showing television, uh, whether that be um, Dr. Phil or Ellen or Good Morning America, whatever, you're basically saying, we want to take you away <coughs> from where you are. I don't want to take them away from where they are. I want them to be exactly where they are. I want them to be starting to be attracted to dentistry, not distracted away from it. Um, do I want patient education playing in the reception room? Uh, it would depend on it would depend on its flavor. It would depend on what it looks like. So, um, do I don't want a lot of distraction in the reception room. I want an attraction to dentistry, information. I want to take a look at the lavatory. Is it aesthetic? Is it clean? Is it, um, hopefully we have the control over that if we're in a public building and we, we may not have control if we share a public facility with other tenants. But if I have one in my office, then I want to make sure that it reflects the quality of care that we provide. Um, that's one of the first places uh, that a new patient may stop in. They may stop in to brush their teeth. They may stop in to freshen up. You know, if they've been driving, they need to, may need to use the facilities. I'm going to pay attention to that. Um, all of those things play a factor. I'm starting to make judgments. I haven't even met the doctor yet, and I've already started judging how, I, how I'm going to be treated and whether or not his or her dentistry is good. Most patients do not um, know if a dentist is a good dentist or a bad dentist. They do not understand the tertiary anatomy of a crown. Right. What they know is how they're, how they're treated when, while they're in your care. And all those things lead up to how they're being treated. And, and this kind of brings something else, right? We tell parents, or that's the typical advice uh, people give parents. You know, kids don't listen to what you say. They, they, they watch what you do. Yes. I guess it's the same thing in a dental practice, right? You can, I mean, you have to live it. You have to you have to become it. It's not just, you know, let me memorize these six steps and uh, just pretend like, I mean, I just go through my emotions. I have to literally get into it. I agree. And you know what? If you're, if you're, if you're going through the motions and you're memorizing a script, then it's, that's called a job. If right. you are doing it because you love it, it's called your passion. And it's, it's just, it's not a job. It's not a job. And then patients feel it. And they know, they know that. I mean, you know that when you're around somebody who's enthusiastic about what they do and you know, loving what they do. I mean, these, sometimes you know, these people say, oh, you know, thank God it's Friday or, oh my gosh, it's Monday. It's like, wow. Um, first of all, I, at my age, I mean, I just can't imagine getting up and going to a, a job that I hated every day or, or um, I can't imagine getting up and not telling myself that I'm going to make today the you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to change somebody's life today. The way I treat them, I'm going to, I'm going to uplift someone today um, in some fashion. And you talk about wanting to feel significant, do something nice for a person to make them feel important to lift them up. And you know what? We'll, I mean, I can even, um, we divert away from patients. I mean, if I go to work and maybe I, you know, I, I lift up my team members. 
I lift up a, a coworker. Instead of tearing a, tear a coworker down, maybe I lift a coworker up. How that's going to make me feel is, is going to be empowered. Not in a aggrandizing way. Um, but, I mean, it's amazing if you think about the, the power that dental teams have over how they make patients feel and how they make each other feel every day. I mean, I mean, we were talking about that. You were talking about, you know, um, you know, many, so many suicides are created because people don't feel significant. You know, the great news about working in a dental office, Doreen, is that every day I go to work, I matter. I matter to my coworkers. I matter to the patients that I serve. Every single day I wake up, I, I know I, I matter. Right. And I think the significance is becoming one of the number one issues in society today. I mean, if you look at the opioid crisis, right. I was sitting next to this uh, guy who was, uh, works for the city of Calgary and uh, he was flying into an, uh, he's coming back from a meeting about opioids. And he told me that the number one group that's affected by the opioid crisis is stay-at-home moms. And, wow. uh, and uh, it just blew me away. And he said, it's not just any stay-at-home mom, really well-off stay-at-home moms. And he was kind of explaining what happens. Like, you know, um, they, they sacrifice their careers. They stay at home to take care of the kids. And the husband is busy doing his thing. And the kids are busy doing their thing. And at some point, you know, they don't feel important anymore. And only thing they see is Facebook. And, you know, that person is having this amazing life. And, and then it, it starts small, right? Maybe that sleep, you know, that tiny pill. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And it just blew me away. I mean, it's just, it's kind of... I don't want to use the word sad, but it's kind of good in the sense, like, like 30 years ago, people were starving. And that was what we worried about. Now, even in the poorest countries, you know, it, I think in the 90s, 30% of the people were, were like really, really poor. Now I think it's 10%. Hmm. So the idea of people starving and, you know, not having the basic needs is becoming less and less. While this idea of we have everything, but we feel unworthy. And we feel not appreciated, not valued. It's becoming more and more. And, uh, and I think and if, if, if we as a business can give a little bit of significance to people, it, it go, it'll go a long way. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just a lot of offices have the, um, the honor of serving, you know, let's talk about, you know, the, the older population and think about the, the patients who get their hair done to come to the dental office, bake brownies, bring treats. I mean, there's, I think about a woman who comes into our office and I don't know a lot about her personal life, but she always has something for everybody when she walks in. There's always, I mean, we just celebrated Halloween. Well, she brought little Halloween boxes of candies for everybody. She brought, um, she brought Dr. Nash a, a, a coffee mug that says, uh, hello, handsome. She brought me a coffee mug that says, hello, gorgeous. I mean, she feels like she's important there. Um, we make her feel important. And she wants to, and that's significant to her. Uh, it's just, uh, and, I, and I think that um, sometimes we care more about, um, so especially the older population, we care more about some of these, these senior citizens than their own families do. And I know that uh, Ross got a phone call from a wife of a patient just a few weeks ago. And she said um, she wanted uh, Ross to know, my husband, that her husband was in hospice. 
and he had actually requested to see Ross. He wanted to see him. Mm. Now that means that it first, in some way, um, and he, and this was a fellow who was a surgeon who um, actually passed away from um, Alzheimer's and, and he had early uh, dementia. And so I'm thinking, wow, for, for Ross to have created that level of significance in this man's life that, you know, toward the end of his life, who did he want to see? He wanted to see his dentist. Right. And it wasn't just a dentist, you see? It was right. somebody who made him feel important. Right. So, so I think that, I mean, if you do that in your practice, and I think that's what we're leading to. I mean, you yeah. can say, well, gee, that's really nice. And um, well, what does that, I mean, what does that translate to when we talk about um, a bigger future or more money or a better purpose? Well, when patients feel important, um, they want to stay. And when patients feel significant, they want they want to they want to uh, buy from you. They want right. to stay with you. They want to tell other people about you. You've because created an experience for them that um, they want to be a part of your practice. Right. When I'm, I mean, like, if if you're trying to make, if if you if you if you if you if your mindset is to serve your patient meaning make him feel significant. It's not going to be about you selling him things. It's about you helping him get what he wants, you know, getting him right. to share his thoughts, getting him to commit to his ideas and his, his wishes, and then getting him to uh, helping him achieve those goals that he has for himself. Well, I mean, think about this. You're right. You're spot on because think about this. I called your office because I want to make a difference in my dental life. Right. Whether that be I want to make a difference in my appearance or I want to make a difference in my dental health, I called you because I wanted to make a, I want something different. And I mean, we have, I mean, there's, there's two schools of thought. Unfortunately, one, um, it, it sometimes is the more dominant thought. There's two schools of thought. There's some off dental offices who think the patient comes in and they don't want you to find anything wrong. They, they, don't want to, they don't want you to tell them, you know, if they need anything. And so we have, almost have a tendency to say, I mean, we, we almost <laughs> underwhelm them and, and, and we apologize. So I come in with possibly a broken tooth and um, I say to the patient, oh, I am so sorry. You're going to need a crown. As opposed to saying, I have good news. You have presented a problem and I have a solution. I've got great news for you. And um, we have a tendency to throw it out as bad news instead of good news. You came to me for a solution. You came to me for a solution and I have an answer as opposed to, well, I, you know, there's nothing I can do for you. So I think we have to look at that, that when people come to you, they come to you looking for a solution or they are looking for um, something better. Right. So. I mean, it's like, um, the half full side of the glass, right? When you talk about the half full side of the glass, you are excited, you're happy. When you talk about the half empty side of the glass, you feel guilty and you make the patient feel guilty. And of course, nobody does anything when they feel bad. They right. do things when they feel happy, when they feel... Um, and then we go, yeah, and then we go into the, then it becomes, well, you need a crown, but your insurance is only going to pay 50% and 50% of their usual and customary allowance, which means out of a $1,500 crown, they may pay $500. So now we get all into that conversation and, or it's how we present treatment. I, I will tell you that I, I truly learned from a, a master. I mean, again, I, I, um, I'm not, 
I'm not, um, I'm not lying or manipulating information when I say not only is my husband a brilliant dentist and a, a brilliant dental artist, but he has got great chairside skills. And I've, I've been with him for 25 years now. And I love when he leans forward, he sits and he leans slightly forward to the patient and he touch, he puts his, his hand on the, their forearm and he asks permission to present the treatment plan. He doesn't throw it down. You know, he doesn't um, bombard them with it. He doesn't move them to another room. He doesn't say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about your, what, you know, what your insurance will pay and what your fees are. He basically in a very soft spoken way, he looks them in the eye with his hand on their forearm. And he says, would you allow me to tell you what I could do for you? He gets permission. And I mean, and the pay, once again, we talk about what we were talking about before the patient says, yes. So, and he may say, would you allow me to tell you what I would like to do for you if you gave me carte blanche? Or would you allow me to tell you what I'd like to do for you if you were my sister? And, and, and sometimes to say, would you allow me to tell you what, um, what I would, what I would like to do for you? And so he's not saying you need this, you need that. Um, he says, here's what I'd like to do. And he leaves it up to the patient. Then that starts a conversation. Because so many times I go in a dental office and then the doctor says, okay, um, I'm going I'm to do the examination. I'm going to do the diagnosis. We're going to write up a treatment plan. I'm going to have the treatment coordinator go over that with you. The financial uh, coordinator is going to go over the, the finances and we're going to get you um, appointed. And it, once again, it becomes so rote that I think the decision to accept treatment happens with the clinical team, not the financial team. And the person who, who, will, who gets permission is the doctor and or treatment coordinator, not the financial coordinator. My role as the financial coordinator is to negotiate the terms of payment. But it's really the clinical team's responsibility to help the patient understand, appreciate, and accept the type of care that they're going to choose. I would love to talk to you more, Deborah, but you know, my time, you know, I do have to finish. Um, if a patient wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? I mean, not a patient, a dentist. A doctor? Yes. A doctor. Um, well, you can um, contact me. I'll, actually, I'll give, you my, um, I'll give you my cell phone number. I think probably the easiest place is I travel a lot with clients. Um, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So my area code is 704. My phone number is 904-3459. Um, so it's 704-904-3459. Um, you can visit my website, Deborah Engelhart Nash, or you can email me at Deborah Engelhart, D-E-B-R-A-E-N-G-E-L-H-A-R-D-T. I know it's long, Nash, N-A-S-H. Deborah Engelhart Nash at gmail.com. Perfect. We'll put your <clears throat> websites as well as your phone number and your email uh, along with the call, call notes. So anybody who's interested, um, they can reach out to you. Okay. Any last piece of advice you have for our listeners? Well, um, I, you know, we talked about the, the, the beginning of the call about uh, the phone call. I think the most uh, the other important question, I mean, again, if I were to wrap it up, I'd say important, you know, always get permission um, to ask the questions before you start asking. Ask them what inspired them to call. 
And I think again, if I'm, if we, we talked about, you know, the greeting and the walkthrough and there's so much to talk about in between. Um, that's what I teach at Dell Business School at the National Institute, the from phone call to recall. But also I think for the hygienists, when they're looking at patients of record who have an incomplete treatment plan, don't ignore it. And the question to ask those patients is this, tell me what has prevented you from having this done and then be quiet. No, don't assume they don't want to do it ever again. Don't assume that it's an insurance. Don't make any assumptions, bottom line. Ask the question, tell me what has prevented you from having this done. Um, and you will actually find yourself having more and more of your patients re-engage in visiting that, those treatments that um, have been incomplete for so many years. So it's all about patient engagement for me. Thank you very much, Deborah, for your time today. Thank you. And uh, I want to talk to you again. So hopefully we can do this once again. Okay. And uh, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show.